part of what we do is 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 really kind of share with the customer their experience and their love of audio and, and basically just giving them that opportunity to kind of let their equipment carry on working because there is no real need to throw it away and, and buy something that's brand new. So part of my my input was to really just really focus on that message and, and kind of elevate it and make it an experience uh, for the customer because again you're you're repairing something that somebody loves somebody as I said before they saved all their pocket money up from their childhood um, you've got to care about it as much as they care about it. Welcome to Restart Radio. I'm Dave Pickering and I make a monthly podcast for the Restart Project. The Restart Project is a London-based charity and social enterprise whose mission is to spark reflection and change in our relationship with gadgets. In this month's episode, I talk to Shamil from the family-owned repair business Armstrong Audio that's based in Walthamstow, East London. Shamil discusses Armstrong Audio's history, his father's decades-long involvement in audio manufacturing and repair, and how his thriving business has modernised in recent years. The thread that runs through all of this is a unique philosophy towards repair and the human element that is integral to everything that Armstrong Audio does. Focusing on why it is that their customers love their devices and want to breathe new life into them. But before this episode starts properly, a quick public service announcement. While many repair shops in the UK are closed at the moment due to the nationwide lockdown, the Restart Project knows just how important it is that people are able to stay connected and keep their home appliances running. We've put together a directory of London repair businesses that are still operating for your essential repairs. And this can be found on our website, therestartproject.org. My name's Shamil. I own Armstrong Audio, an audio repair and coffee shop based up in Walthamstow, East London. It's funny, I used to live very close to you. I used to live in Leytonstone, so it's weird to be doing this recording remotely when I was actually going to travel to London to speak to you in person. And I was looking forward to going back to all my old haunts and uh, walk up to Walthamstow from Leytonstone, go to my favourite coffee place, all of that. But instead, we're doing this on a slightly dodgy Skype line from different ends of the country. Armstrong Audio was not originally a repair store. What are the origins of your business and what's your story? Your rights point out, we weren't originally a repair shop or even a coffee shop. We have got quite a long history. We're actually a family-run business, but the actual business goes back beyond when my family took it over. So Armstrong goes back to 1932. It was originally a British manufacturer of televisions as well as wireless radios. They were used predominantly during the war effort, actually, so <laughs> has some kind of overlaps with the uh, the pandemic at the moment. They were based in Camden, London, so it's always been a London-based company and after that they went on to specialise in production of amplifiers both in the design and the manufacturing of it. That kind of carried on going for quite some time and my father he joined the company in the 1960s as a engineer on their assembly line and carried on working for them when they were in Camden. Come to 
I think it was around about the 80s or so, once the kind of electronic British manufacturing side couldn't compete against the new products from Japan, be it Sony, Technics, Panasonic, started coming into the market. They were unable to innovate as quickly as those products and they became a repair company and moved to Walthamstow. At that point, my dad had actually taken over the business and carried on operating it as your kind of quintessential cliched audio TV repair shop that you see on many a high street. But they were actually quite in demand based on their history and they had many a service contracts working for the likes of Curry's, John Lewis. And if you actually to buy something in the 80s in John Lewis in London and it broke, you take it back to John Lewis, but then John Lewis would actually bring it to Armstrong for repair. He developed a very good reputation for being able to repair, as did all the engineers that were actually working there, primarily because they came from that, that kind of engineering background of design and manufacturing. And he carried on operating that shop in that format until probably about three years ago. And if you, you're from Walthamstow or you were in Leytonstone, you know it's a part of London that's changing very quickly, paying a bit of catch up to the other boroughs in East London, but there has been a significant change. And about three years ago, the business as it stood wasn't doing too well. And I kind of stepped in. And to help out and part of that was to add a coffee shop as well as reduce the amount of things that my dad was actually repairing or we were repairing as a business so whereas before we would be repairing anything electronic that was audio and visual pretty much kind of stripped that right back and really focused in on being a specialist of repairing vintage audio equipment and also analog so whilst we can do digital we kind of really do steer clear of anything like a ipod dock or anything that's more computer we don't tend to touch that and really what we try and do is we try and only repair stuff that customers really love we kind of had to reevaluate our whole repair model to make it sustainable and essentially we we kind of pitch our business now at repairing stuff that can't be bought that is vintage rather than repairing it because it's cheaper than buying brand new especially with the guy's skill the amount of time and labor that goes into it you can't really repair something cheaper than it costs to make it in today's market because manufacturing is is so cheap to what it used to be so yeah we're a vintage audio restoration company essentially that's really interesting as a podcaster, obviously, I have a need quite often for audio stuff to be fixed. When I started out in audio before I'd even, well, before anyone even knew what a podcast was because they didn't exist yet, I used to use four tracks and stuff like that to make music. And so I guess those are the kinds of things that if I still had, I could bring in to you guys to, to, to get fixed. And also, interestingly enough, there's another kind of connection potentially between me and what you're doing at Armstrong Audio in that my dad is quite quite a bit older than most people my age is dad's and he was a, a radio operator in the second world war well i say radio operator a wireless operator and so he may very well have been using equipment produced by the first iteration of your company so that's really cool we do actually it's, it's worth noting actually we do armstrong it, it was a recognized brand if you're an audiophile say in the 60s and 70s even the 80s you would have been aware of, of armstrong we still get armstrong's coming in for repair we've actually got all the parts from when they were manufactured we actually stored them away so we are actually able to uh, restore old Armstrong amplifiers of which there are many fanboys out there and it is actually always interesting especially when you, you find someone who, who's, who finds our company again comes in and they tell us a story about how they bought this Armstrong after saving up their pocket money they're obviously a lot older today but it's something that technically speaking did stand the test of time especially when stuff was more like valve based it, it does last and we've got very much a philosophy of especially when it comes to repairing stuff is most 
electronic equipment, especially from that era, going up until the 90s, you can repair it. It is infinitely repairable. And the idea that you would throw away something when pretty much only one or 2% or one part, two parts breaks, and especially in today's climate, when it, when it talks about the impact that manufacturing has on the climate, why would you throw away 99% of something that's good? It's just because you don't know that 1%. So we do, we enjoy the stories. Part of what we do is really kind of share with the customer their experience and their love of audio and, and basically just giving them that opportunity to let their equipment carry on working because there is no real need to throw it away and buy something that's brand new. I'm not saying that you can't do that. I do that occasionally. But ultimately, audio tends to have more of a nostalgic impact on people. Like when I mentioned before, we kind of stopped repairing TVs, primarily because you really can't get sentimentally attached to your TV. But your record player, your speaker, your amp, music in general has a bit more nostalgia and a bit more... Emp- you, you've, there's more love for it than, say, your TV box or your, your television set. So there is an opportunity, essentially, to repair stuff like that. And there is a, a need and a desire from customers to have it repaired rather than just throwing it away because they do have an emotional connection with their DJ turntables or they want to play that record. So there, there is an opportunity especially from the repair side I've had conversations about how do you make a repair company viable the way we found to do that was to repair things that people love if you can repair something that people love you can have a business off the back of it we've got older customers who who really just don't want to know how or learn how to work anything brand new so we provide a service to to elderly people because they've had this stereo for 15 20 30 years and they've not got the appetite to to kind of want to buy something brand new they they've made a shelf that it fits exactly in they want it repaired so there's plenty of opportunities to repair stuff as long as you kind of look for what people want repaired yeah i mean even people who aren't old like we're all quite time poor these days i hate it when i have to learn a new piece of kit i much prefer going back to the tried and tested bits of kits that i know what they do i'm often sort of talking to people who are looking to get into podcasting and i'm always trying to tell them like don't necessarily buy new kit people have got this idea that new shiny shiny is the way forwards but actually you can you can quite you can rely on certain certain old bits of kit the new shiny shiny ones you kind of have that kind of initial rush of love because they seem to be doing everything you want but then over time it kind of fades whereas i think the love for audio equipment that lasts is the stuff that like is physical and real you know in your hands that you can have a relationship with it's funny you say that there is there is a love there and one of the things that that's quite telling especially when we, we do get younger people coming in we get 20 year olds 30 year olds especially with new stuff uh, compared to old stuff there is this desire to go back to a more tactile experience when it comes to electronics not everything has to be a glass screen that you touch people enjoy especially with old equipment the tactile uh, reaction of a button or a knob or a switch that you can actually flick or turn on not everything has to be voice activated or a swipe screen or whatever it is so we see a lot of people that have that nostalgic memory of when they were a kid and they were playing on their dad's turntable and they're just that physicalness of actually picking up a record and actually looking at it as a actual physical format rather than say a stream format and again i'm not saying that i'm I'm all analog my home has a, a mixture of both i kind of look at it as kind of like someone who still rides horses when there are cars you can do both so someone who has a, a like a second car just for the weekend you can have analog just for the weekend because yeah you can't argue with it streaming music is actually efficient it is actually convenient but sometimes you kind of want kind of slow down i think especially with a pandemic is slow down let me just listen to a record let me pull it on and then you get that warmth and sound and also what we have seen an increase and especially with our our younger audience is that they want 
equipment from say the 80s that they can use today so we do a fair bit of work in terms of i wouldn't say as far as upgrading but we can incorporate bluetooth receivers into radiograms into older systems or even like a an old vintage amp that can be worked on to actually include a bluetooth receiver so you can have a, a beautiful yamaha 1980s wooden encased amp and it's got a bluetooth receiver in it so you've got the best of both worlds we're not like very much exclusive analog only we kind of see that there is a space for people to enjoy both absolutely and it's interesting like i, I see this with music editing and, and and audio editing software quite often the digital products are trying to emulate physical ideas like knobs and buttons and levers because that's how our minds think and it's interesting like another thing my dad used to do is documentary film and he used to cut film and it's so different now with digital devices that you can record film on but there's no smell to that film there's no physical existence of that film that you're making so you have a a different relationship to it I think and as someone who's mostly only ever worked in digital in a lot of the stuff I do when I hear like people who used to be back in the analog days talking about stuff I I always kind of feel nostalgic you know on on extra I don't know if you can feel nostalgic for someone else's nostalgia but I I guess that's kind of what I feel these days you always get like interesting stories coming into our shop various people from various backgrounds but I remember one that kind of jumps out there was the kid he came in with his father and he must have only been about seven or eight years old and he literally could not grasp the concept that music existed either on a record player when we showed it to him or a tape the idea that music you could actually hold it and he was just dumbfounded uh, quite literally it's quite amusing actually for us we put the record on put the uh, needle on the record and he still didn't believe it he was just like that's not real that's not playing music from a bit of plastic he thought it was he didn't understand vinyl but it was actually quite amusing that we kept on having to show him no put the needle on put the needle off and the music stopping and starting he had it in his head that we were streaming it in the background somewhere it is nice to actually be able to kind of like show people and he was genuinely excited you can see he's like am i holding music i'm like you are holding music but yeah that that physicalness is missing and people do want that experience or want that memory again yeah it's like when you try and tell kids that you used to copy computer games by sticking a little bit of sellotape over commercially (laughs) bought story tapes or whatever and then like recording over it completely blows their minds Yeah, how did you gain the skills and expertise in repair that you're you're using in the in your shop? So, a uh, little caveat here: I'm not an actual repair engineer. I took over the business. I came from the city and basically decided I needed to change my career and focus essentially on my family. And I was looking for other opportunities. I basically run the coffee shop side, but I've grown up with audio since I was a little kid. I've been surrounded by it, fortunately. But my father runs the repair side, and his history goes back to actually designing and manufacturing audio equipment. And so he's got at least 50 years experience in the industry from front to back. And we've also now taken on two other engineers and they've studied or actually Joe Moore has more of an interest in it. And we are actually looking, we, there's so much demand for our service at the moment that we are actually expanding our workshop to accommodate a fourth engineer, which we're currently on the lookout for. But ultimately, my dad's acquired the knowledge. He's just a fountain of information when it comes to this kind of stuff. And he's very much sought after in his opinion and his thoughts on it. His philosophy, especially when it comes to repairing, is 
is he's always trying to repair stuff back to specification. So as if it came off the production line, that's his main aim. Yeah, he's got 50 years experience in the game. So uh, yeah, there's not much more knowledgeable than him at the moment. You're in charge of the coffee shop and I guess you're the person who's responsible for kind of modernising the business or, yeah. or bringing this new approach in. How did you go about doing that and what makes your business special? I basically looked at my dad's business, recognised that we weren't specialist, we weren't niche enough, we were trying to repair too much in my opinion and that just meant that we weren't able to kind of provide a service or speak to a certain set of customers and my main input was to redesign the shop's offering to actually have a more targeted appeal to a group of people and essentially audiophiles so audiophiles were who we target we as I said before we dropped tv repairs we couldn't run a viable business repairing tvs because that business would be based on volume rather than specialist time we're not here to repair equipment because it's cheaper than buying it brand new we're here to repair something because you love it and you want to look after your equipment and you want your equipment to carry on working for you so what i really did with the company was just redesign it so that it kind of spoke to the customer that we love your equipment as much as you love your equipment so there were like minor little changes that really did help and have really, really helped us in terms of beforehand, you'd come to the shop, you'd actually put the unit in, we'd take it out back and it would be repaired. You'd never actually see the workbench and all the oscilloscopes and all the test equipment. And what we did, we actually, I kind of saw that, well, we should tell people, we should show people how we repair stuff. I'd seen like, I know it seems a bit of a strange example, but say like places like iSmash who repair iPhones, they visibly repair it in front of you. You can see that there is technique, you can see that there is a specialist knowledge and skill set and equipment required to do it rather than it happening behind the closed door where you don't see it so when you come into our shop you can see all of our engineers you can see all of our open equipment you can see all of our oscilloscopes it it kind of shows the customer that bit of theater it's almost like coming into an a and e for audio equipment but ultimately sharing that kind of experience that kind of visual with the customer and it tells them that yeah i do want my equipment to be restored by these guys so part of my input was to really focus on that message and and kind of elevate it and make it an experience for the customer because again you're you're repairing something that somebody loves as i said before they saved all their pocket money up from their childhood you've got to care about it as much as they care about it that's what i try and do at least um i try and make it more of an emotional transaction rather than a financial one and would you say that like the landscape of repairing has changed since the business started in the 1930s but even since the 60s when you're dad did it i mean clearly i guess you're you're reacting to these changes in terms of looking to change how you're framing it how you're seeing repair so there must have been some kind of change within the industry but can you can you speak on that a little bit i wouldn't say there's a rejection of say like the the latest technology but i think there there obviously is a generation of, of people who do remember turntables who do remember growing up in their family home with the amplifier where the amplifier was actually part of the living room and not say like in the 90s a black box in a cupboard there is a generation of people who who, who do remember that even me i remember as a kid I'm, I'm i'm in my 40s i remember as a kid putting my toy car on a turntable and playing with the speed and watching it spin around and that causing me no end of fun and i think that that generation now are not necessarily rejecting the latest technology but they want that childhood memory back they want to remember that afternoon where their dad played them a record be it fleetwood mac or whoever but i think that there is definitely a generation who are saying i want to remember what it was like in my childhood and then we we kind of serve that market and then we serve the market that was already older 
the back then and just want their equipment to keep working. We've seen, like, for example, an increase in the number of ghetto blasters coming in, which kind of took me by surprise. But people wanting ghetto blasters. And there are some serious collectors of that equipment out there. But ultimately, people want 80 styled big knobs, big buttons. And also people, they want their audio equipment to be present in their lounge they don't want it just to be like this sleek ipod they actually want it to be almost like a conversational piece something that they actually have to touch so we're we're kind of that's where i see the market and that's the market that we we try to appeal to rather than say the market of latest brand new gadget that's always going to be there there's always going to be large companies pushing the latest goods on you but there is a growing market especially when it comes to a lot of the information around the impact of manufacturing i've seen that change in the past year quite considerably actually where people better understand the impact of say buying a brand new piece of equipment especially when you look at some of the manufacturing standards that they're not necessarily built to last and people are kind of rejecting that and they want something a bit more robust and generally you've got to go backwards to find that and what are some of the barriers to repair that you've come up against when you've been doing your work parts <laughs> parts are uh, a regular challenge there's been a lot of changes there I, i'm not uh, an expert in it but ultimately they finding parts can be a bit of a challenge and that can add a lot of time so we we occasionally have to source our parts from not just the uk but from china from russia from the ukraine as well for one reason or another they seem to have a lot of valves I and mean, there's not many people who have valves in this country so parts is a challenge and also another big challenge is engineers finding people who understand the makeup of a repair engineer. It's not taught anymore. And in order to make it cost effective, there does need to be a certain skill set within an engineer where they understand the nature of the unit, the nature of the problem. They've got the experience. People who are knowledgeable enough are another issue for us because ultimately a poor engineer could actually end up costing more money than it's worth because they're replacing parts that didn't need replacing but ultimately yeah they're the two main obstacles to us so we're already over in demand we get a fair amount of units in and being able to turn around those units quickly enough is always a challenge but then that does come down to how readily we can access those parts and and the knowledge of our engineers and the amount of work that we're being asked to they're the the main challenges we have at the moment in terms of demand there's no issue if people know where they're they find us do you have any limitations in terms of repair in relation to the age of devices that are brought in or perhaps the fact that they're uncommon now so it's hard to, harder to repair them as you say you can't get the parts there is one main limitation broken plastic parts <laughs> that's a that's almost like a dented chassis on the car it's a write-off you're never going to be able to source that part it's near impossible i've even explored looking into 3d printing but ultimately that is something that we would love to go down but at this point in time the cost of that makes it prohibitive to charge a customer if a plastic part breaks inside a unit that's really hard for us but in terms of limitations there there really are very few others we recently restored a 1950s Braun SK55 which was designed by Dieter Arms the main design influencer that Johnny Ives quotes from from Apple that was a big effort for us we not only restored the electronics inside we actually stripped and repowder coated and refabricate uh, the actual metal casing on it we actually also had uh, the the plastic lid remade on it but really there are no limitations that you can do the one of the main ones is the plastic parts you can 
can get stuff refabricated, but it's not ideal to go down that line. It's not just you and your father that work at Armstrong Audio. How have you gone about finding those difficult to find technicians to work in the workshop? And can you say a bit more about the lack of people with those kind of skills? Both our engineers, Hamid and Joe, amazing engineers. They're very, very good in their areas. They found us. One of the things that we've struggled previously when looking for an engineer is where to put the question out there. There aren't that many platforms where, say, repair engineers that we're looking for congregate within. We've always struggled to, to kind of find those platforms. But ultimately, we've relied on people hearing about us and then offering up their services to us. So, yeah, there generally is a lack. We, we've tried before advertising for it, but going back to the, the point around people not having the right skill set, not having the relevant experience, we haven't been able to bring them on board because they weren't suitable. We rely on people finding us. And at the moment, we've got two engineers and we will be uh, looking for a, a fourth engineer to, to come, come into our team soon in the near future. Right. So I guess if there's anybody out there listening who has those kind of skills you heard it here first you should be getting on to armstrong audio to send them your cv i would say though there are many hobbyists and they're great the hobby repairists are great and we'd be willing to actually work with someone where we could like train them up and and develop them and generally what you find with repair engineers and again myself not being one the more you put together the better they all become (laughs) they do share each other's knowledge they do learn from each other on a daily basis so even if i would say even if you are a hobbyist and you may not think that you're good enough to essentially become professional and and charge for it being surrounded by other people like that will make you better to use a football analogy you get better playing with better footballers yeah there's always an opportunity so yeah please do feel free to get in touch yeah i mean you see that in restart parties that the restart project put on like you get a bunch of different people with different kinds of skills in a room and everybody's skill rises people who are primarily electrical people will learn some mechanical stuff and mechanical people will learn some digital stuff and, and all of that stuff uh, all happens in a, in a restart party so I, I I've seen that that logic work firsthand although even I understood that football analogy which is rare <laughs> mostly football stuff goes over my head but even I can understand the value of, of everybody playing together makes everybody better have you noticed a change in the kind of applicants regarding their skills and preparations etc and what role do you think that formal education could play in terms of training people up to be engineers in the future i do think it requires businesses to actually operate in a way that is viable for a career so that you actually do show people that this is a job you can do this for a living and ultimately I do look at it in terms of the work that I've done at the shop in terms of identifying a niche and focusing in on that niche and elevating that niche to a point where you can actually charge the customer the right amount in order for you to be able to open up tomorrow and also enough that the customer values the work that you've done and is willing to Come back again. So I think more so it's from my point of view is businesses showing that this is a job, this is a career, you can make a living out of it. And I think it's very important for repair shops to almost separate yourself from manufacturing if you want to have a viable repair business. And generally that comes from looking for that emotional thing. Why does someone want it repaired? They want it repaired because they love it. And if they love it, they're willing to pay to get it repaired as opposed to bidding it. My main advice is for people who have repair shops, look for that rather than looking for what most repair engineers have I can repair it therefore someone's going to want it repaired that's not the case you've got to understand why someone wants something repaired and once you understand that 
then you can actually work out whether there's a business off the back of it. So it's actually up to businesses to really look at what they're doing and understand whether they're charging enough. I don't think we we char- were extortionate um, or any in any way like that. But ultimately, my dad hates charging for his service. <laughs> he absolutely loathes charging for his service. So I'm honest with you. But ultimately, we need to charge in order for our service to be available to the next customer. I think that there are plenty of opportunities for many a repair shop to really value what they do. And I think that comes from within. Value what you do, be honest, charge what is is suitable, and then you will tell other people that this is a viable career. And have you found a community with other repairers and repair business owners that you are working with and and engaging with? Yeah, yeah. There's a fair few audio files in this part of London. We take on repairs that other repair shops can't do, and we'll, we'll, we'll charge accordingly. But ultimately, there is a community in East London who do share knowledge, share information. There's also even like shops who specialise in selling, essentially, restored audio equipment, and we direct our customers so we, we only do repairs we don't do any sales we direct any kind of inquiries to those other shops so yeah there is a, a good audio file community and it is important that you reach out and engage with them we've uh, taken on engineers from other shops where there, there wasn't enough demand from them there and again it is quite important that you, you do have that community and you do essentially retain that knowledge and you share your client base because it's all the same people So you uh, recently had to close the workshop due to the nationwide or global, really, lockdown that we're all in. I mean, we're in a nationwide lockdown here, but a lot of other countries are also in lockdown and that probably affects the supply chains too. How has the pandemic affected your business? (laughs) How has it not? It would be be a more apt way. Well, that would be a shorter answer. So yeah, it's affected us pretty badly. So what we've actually done is the coffee shop's closed for obvious reasons but the repair shop has closed to new business we do have about i think about over about 120 repairs to complete on our shelves but due to social isolation and travel restrictions we're down to one engineer so he's actually still operating on the the units that we've already taken in so we're still continuing on that front we are hopeful that these restrictions are removed and removed at the right time not too early so that we can get back to work but i'm already looking at how to build in more resiliency into our business so one of the areas that we'll be looking at is online that's something that we do need to expand within so whilst our business is well positioned within london and to a certain extent within the southeast we don't see much customers coming from say the north be it your manchester's your liverpool's birmingham's so we'll be looking to broaden our web presence and offering like services whereby we can collect and dispatch units for people so we do need to broaden our customer base because there is going to be someone in manchester that our service appeals to but at the moment we're not set up to kind of really interact with people who can't come to the shop we're looking at broadening our online presence we'll be looking at doing how-to videos that we can post onto youtube to keep people informed we're looking at doing like how-to basics around soldering and sharing some of my dad's knowledge and some of our other engineers knowledge so that other people can can access it even if they can't access our shop yeah i mean it's such an interesting time for that isn't it because people are stuck in their houses sometimes if they're in full isolation they're literally not allowed out and so i've seen lots of people having to do emergency repairs at home i've got a friend of mine who had to have a, a skype call with a plumber to, to mend her boiler because she wasn't allowed out so she was there like with the virus repairing her boiler which sounds like a horrible combination not even with spare parts either with like cobbled together a team style repair stuff. That's what I was about to say, it's like the A-team. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I guess 
I guess people will think a boiler is an emergency thing, whereas mm. audio stuff isn't an emergency. But actually, one of the things I think people are learning in this lockdown is that entertainment can actually be very, very vital in certain circumstances to people's survival. Like we have to mentally survive this isolation and social distancing. And one of the ways we can do that is through listening to music, listening to, to stories, watching TV. So there's probably a lot of people out there that you could be helping online even even now, yeah, like in this desperate time. I would agree with that. I'm only watching the news once a day at the moment and I'm playing music the nice. rest of the day. <laughs> yeah. And that is doing wonders for my uh, mental health and my well-being. That's really brilliant. And so with people spending more time at the moment on their devices and uh, possibly trying to resurrect old devices like gaming consoles or old hi-fis or whatever during the isolation, I mean, do you have any inkling as to what the long-term effects of all of this may be on the repair business in general? I think uh, more broadly speaking, commercially, there's going to be a push, especially because we're essentially an independent trader. I think there'll be more of a push to go hyper-local. What I've seen in my neighbourhood and in my area is more people obviously being forced to shop locally, shops that they never even knew existed. The idea of, say, for example, only ever going to like the big supermarket, people are now getting used to the idea of actually know there's another shop nearby. So I see that there being a hyper-local trend coming through, especially if you consider from what I'm reading around as bad as what's going on, but the environment seems to improve and air quality seems to be getting better. Because I think that obviously not, not necessarily for, for, for us in particular, but there are a lot of individuals who are going to be more comfortable working from home going forward. And again, what you're looking at there is more people staying within their residential boroughs or residential areas day to day rather than commuting constantly, potentially longer term. Is stuff going to go back to the way it was? I don't think it will. I think there will be a new norm or a new normal. What that new normal is, I'm not entirely sure. But what I know is it's not going to go back to the way it was. Having talked to Shamil, it becomes clear that there are certain elements that set apart Armstrong Audio from many of the other repair shops that you can find on the high street. The passion and respect for repair that he and his father, Twaleb, obviously share comes through in their attitude towards the devices that they repair, their focus on finding the right niche building a skilled team of engineers and understanding why it is that customers want to repair their products should be of inspiration to many other repair businesses. One of the things that this pandemic and this lockdown has brought into our lives is a sudden urgent necessity to live incredibly locally. And whilst it may not be pleasant to be forced to be local, hopefully, once we're allowed to leave our houses more generally, a return to supporting local businesses like Armstrong Audio will be a positive from these difficult times that we can take forwards into a more sustainable future. And as mentioned at the start of the show, if you need any devices repaired during this time and you live in the London area, then you can find a list of open repair businesses at www.therestartproject.org. Restart Radio is a show aired on Resonance 104.4 FM and a monthly podcast uploaded to the Restart Project website. 
and found wherever you get your podcasts. As with all episodes of Restart Radio, we'll include links with background information to all of the issues and stories discussed over at therestartproject.org. The music that you've heard in today's episode was made with lasers and repurposed electronics and is a collaboration between Opto Noise and Cassini Sound. And big thanks to Restart's communications assistant, Holly, who did the research and planning for this episode. And now it's time to pack up the equipment and say goodbye to each other. Goodbye, everybody. 